0: Is Abraham tested? Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba.
1: Good morning, nice to be here at New Taber this morning. A few new faces out there. My name is Paul, I'm one of the pastors here. I want to flip back in your Bibles to uh, Genesis 22. It's a... Disturbing story in many ways, but it's so important for our faith. It's been said, the, uh, the faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. The faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. And you've probably heard of a man called uh, C.S. Lewis. You heard of him? Extraordinary man of extraordinary faith. Uh, in 1940, he, he wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. It was on suffering. And it was a theologically rigorous book, an excellent book on suffering. But Lewis's faith had not yet been tested. In 1957, he married a a beautiful godly woman called Joy. And three years later, God took his wife away. She died of cancer. And Lewis describes how he asks these questions. Why, God? Where are you, God? What are you doing, God? And his faith was being tested. And he wrote a different book called A Grief Observed. And in that book he writes this. We were told, blessed are those that mourn, and I accepted that. I've got nothing I haven't bargained for. Of course, it's different when the things happen to, you, to yourself, not to other people. When tough things happen to you in reality and not in imagination. You see, for Lewis, his faith was no longer propositions to believe. It was truth to cling on to. It wasn't just words on a page. It was a reality. Faith was choosing to trust God in the darkest of valleys. As I read my Bible, one thing is very clear to me, that God tests his children. God tests us. And you've got to know that and accept that and expect it. God will test you, not to destroy your faith, but to develop it, to refine you, to form you, to to chip away. And he often uses the darkest of times to do that. Sometimes God takes you to to rock bottom, to utter desperation, to the point where all you've got is God. And I know you'd like to hear a sermon this morning on God's comfort and God's kindness. It's a sermon on God's testing. It sounds barbaric, but it is true. Every day God tests us in big ways and in small ways, broken relationships, broken relationships, financial hardships, when your expectations are not met, when God takes away something precious from you, when you've been wronged. And we don't like being tested. We, don't, we shouldn't like being tested. But I was thinking this week, the, the men and women of faith who I admire the most, who I long to be like the most, whenever they share their story, it's always, always, always involved suffering. Quote, it was when I had cancer that God taught me dependence and abiding in Jesus. Quote, it was when my spouse walked out on me and I was in a valley of despair. Then God's word came alive to me. Quote, it was when my husband died, suddenly I experienced God's presence in a new and profound way. It's not pleasant. We'd never choose it. But God tests us to transform us. So in Genesis 22, and we're told in verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. If you just joined us, this is the Abraham story. In Genesis 12, God called Abraham and said, leave your family, leave your country, go to the place I'm going to show you. And God promised that from Abraham would come a great nation. But here's the problem. Abraham and Sarah have got no children. They can't have kids. And they're both really old, like 85 and 75. In Genesis 15, God guarantees that promise. He makes a covenant with them and says, I will bring you this child. But in chapter 16, they decide to take life into their own hands, do it their way, and so Abraham sleeps with a maidservant Hagar. They do have a son called Ishmael, and God says, no, no, it's through you and Sarah you're going to have a child. Now God keeps his promises. Chapter 21, Isaac is born and is great rejoicing. And everything now depends on this child, on Isaac. And then God speaks and tests him in chapter 22. I've got two points today. It's trusting and testing, testing and trusting. I want to walk through the Abraham story. I've said, Abraham, an agonizing test, an astonishing trust. An agonizing test, an astonishing trust. Let's walk through this chapter together. Verse verse 1, sometime later. We're told at the end of chapter 21 that Abraham stayed in Philistine for a long time. So it's about 20 years after chapter 21. So when you hear this story, please don't think that Isaac is a toddler. He's in his mid-20s. He's a man. And Abraham has for 20 years experienced God's goodness, God's faithfulness. It's like God has been preparing Abraham, making sure that Abraham had learned to walk by faith, not by sight. But verse 1, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said, Abraham, the personal call. Here I am, he said, the perfect response. This is the test, verse 2. God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, and, and go to that mountain and, and sacrifice him. And, and you read verse 2, and you go, seriously, God? This is crazy. Surely a, a just loving God cannot be asking this. Because the promise that Abraham is going to have descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky rely on Isaac living. But this command requires him to die, and it makes no logical human sense. But I hope you know that God's testing of us often makes no logical human sense. God often takes you to these illogical, gut-wrenching valleys that make no sense. And you say, why? Why? This is not Abraham trying to prove the depth of his faith. This is not an imitation of pagan human sacrifice. This is not temptation by the devil. This is God testing his son. We know that Abraham didn't know that. We know the outcome Abraham didn't. It's unimaginable, isn't it? Let me read verse 2 literally. It literally reads, Please take your son. That's the tone God knows how costly this is. Your only son, you're thinking, what about Ishmael? No, this is the promised son. Whom you love, he says. This is the first mention of the word love in the whole Bible. And that's significant because love is the father-son love, the sacrificial selfless love. And Abraham loved his son, his precious long-for son. And he's saying, please, God, anything but this. You ever thought that? Take your son and and sacrifice him as a burnt offering, verse 2, the complete sacrifice, the one where the animal is cut into tiny pieces. And to be honest, a test does not get any harder than this. You know, we think a test is when God says, give up that relationship and choose me above that relationship. We think a test is is trusting God in a cancer or trusting God in the chaos. But this demand, it is gut-wrenching, it is heartbreaking, it is agonizing. But Abraham's trust is extraordinary. Look at verse 3. Early the next morning, I don't imagine that Abraham got much sleep, do you? The very next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey, took with him two servants and his son Isaac. Notice in verse 3, Abraham does not say, God, I am not going to do this until you tell me exactly how this is going to play out. God, I refuse to obey you unless you tell me the outcome. Because we like to do that, don't we? Show me the end point and then I'll trust you. It's astonishing trust. But remember, it's based on 50 years of walking with the Lord. The more you walk with the Lord, the more you know the Lord, the more you trust him. So Abraham sets out, verse 3, for the place God had told him about. He walked 70 kilometers to this mountain as an 120-year-old man. I reckon it would have been easy if God had asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac there and then. Three days of walking, three days of looking at your son, three days of pondering and agonizing, three days of going over and over in your mind, the demands God has made. When they reach the foot of the mountain, verse 4, verse 5 rather, he says, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. Now see if you can spot two extraordinary words in verse 5. Here it comes. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Worship? Are you serious, Abraham? Is, it, is that what you call this, an act of worship? And then we will come back to you. It's not the Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll be back. It's we will be back. And when you read verse 5, there are only three options. Either Abraham is lying or Abraham has no intention of sacrificing his son, or or he really, truly believes that they will both come back. That's the only explanation. We will come back, he says. Abraham does not know how Isaac's going to be spared. He doesn't know when it's going to happen, but he really, truly believes deep down that God will keep his promise somehow. It's almost like he's saying, "God, I've lived with you long enough to know that you are able to do the impossible." Now Hebrews 11 explains it to us. It's on the screen. By faith, Abraham, when tested, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one only son. Even though God had said to him, "It's through Isaac your offering will be reckoned," here's the key verse, verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. He reasoned. That's the key word he he considered based on his knowledge of God, his understanding of who God is and and how God acts. He, He didn't understand why God told him to do this. He didn't understand how God could accomplish this, but he knew God. That is the basis of trust when you know God. And at this point, he'd never heard of anyone coming back, to, back from the dead, but he just believed that God had the power to do the impossible. This is at the test of faith. God is saying, Abraham, you claim to believe all these things about me. Well, let me test that, shall I? Will you do this for me? Because it's easy to say, I believe, but when God asks you to do something that you do not understand, Do you put your faith into action? The next part is the hardest, verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. So Isaac carries his own wood like a condemned man carrying a cross. Verse 6, Abraham himself carried the fire and the knife so Abraham did not pretend to forget the knife. You know, Unbelief would have left the knife at home, but belief takes the knife. It's horrific. This picture of, of an executioner and a victim being led like a lamb to the slaughter. Isaac breaks the silence in verse 7. Literally it says, My father, yes, my son, is intimate. And then the poignant question, verse 7. The foreigner would have here, but Dad, where is the lamb? Where is the lamb? Is he naive? Does he not know? If he did know, it's astonishing trust. Verse 8 is a turning point. Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb. That's the trust. God will provide. My God will provide. He didn't know how. He didn't know when. But he truly believed that God had the power and the character to provide. Verse 9, they reach the top of the mountain. Abraham builds the altar. He arranges the wood. He bounds his son, Isaac. And when you read verse 9, please remember this, that that Abraham is 120 years old and and Isaac is in his mid-twenties. So Isaac is fitter and stronger and more powerful. So so please don't get with this idea that that Isaac is, is an unwilling sacrifice. Isaac offers himself. Isaac willingly lays down his life on the altar. And you imagine Isaac pleading with his, son, with his father, Father, if there's any other way. Heard that before? And This is the moment of tension. Isaac is on the altar, the only son, the son that he loves. And, and Abraham takes the knife, verse 10, and it's horrific. And you imagine heart pounding head spinning, praying, please God, please God, please God, no God. And we don't know how long this test went on for. But, verse 11, but, I love that word, but God spoke, God called out, Abraham, Abraham. This is urgent, Abraham. Verse 12, do not lay a hand on the boy, don't do it. Now I know that you fear God. Astonishing trust. We hear hear nothing of Abraham's response. We hear nothing of Isaac released. But what we do see is God miraculously provides because Abraham looks up and there miraculously is, is a ram. A ram caught by its horns. And Abraham rushes over, grabs the ram, and sacrifices the ram instead of his son. And Abraham calls the place, verse 14, the Lord will provide Jehovah-Jireh, my provider. That is the name of the mountain. Not not Mount Testing, not Mount Agony, not Mount Obedience, but the Mount of Provision. One of my favourite hymns I've been singing all week is Be Still My Soul. Be Still My Soul. It goes like this. Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief and pain. Leave to thy God to order and provide. In every change he faithful will remain. Be still, my soul, thy best, thy heavenly friend. Through thorny ways he leads to a joyful end. An agonizing test, an astonishing trust. Look at those two words, trusting and testing. Trusting. The word trust is the same word to believe. You know, Abraham believed God, Genesis 15, verse 6. He he trusted God. It's Proverbs 3: Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. We, we, we use that word trust very flippantly, don't we? I trust God. Trust means that you you depend on, that you lean all your weight on, that you have absolute confidence in. When you can't see clearly, you still trust. And it's not about trusting in promises. It's trusting in a promiseur, It's trusting in a person. The person who makes the promises. Do you believe him? Do you trust him? Do you, do you know the character of your God so when everything is collapsing all around you, you can still say, I trust him. That word trust is actually a relational word. And it starts with the person of Jesus Christ. And I hope you spotted that in this story. It it is extraordinary, the the similarities between Isaac and our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you spot it all? That Jesus was a miracle baby, wasn't he? Not to a 90-year-old barren woman, but to a teenage virgin. And, And Jesus was the only son, the only begotten son. Jesus was so loved by his father and Jesus carried the wood up the mountain. He carried his own cross and and Jesus walked up the same mountain, exactly the same mountain because Mount Moriah changed its name to Golgotha. Have you heard of that? Same place, same situation. Jesus being led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus willingly sacrificing his own life, willingly, voluntarily allowing those nails to be pierced through his wrists. But that's where the similarities stop. Because for Jesus there was no ram. For the Lord Jesus Christ, there was no one that spared his life. God the Father was taking a knife to his own son. Do you ever think about that, the agony that God the Father goes through to sacrifice his own son? The pain that he chose to go through. Have you grasped that? Because if Abraham displays love for God by being willing to give up his only son, God displays extraordinary love for you by actually giving up his son. Please don't minimize the cross of Jesus Christ. God chose to give up his son so that you, a rebel, might be made right with God, a sinner might be saved. This, this is your deepest need. God has provided for your deepest, deepest need. A need more important than money or housing or wife or husband or kids or friends, or, but atonement for your sins, and you've got to trust that. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to work for it. It's just a gift from God. I met with a 91-year-old man this week in a cafe, a believer in Christ. And he was talking about his past. And he said this to me. He said, Paul, I really hope that God can forgive me for that. And I looked him in the eye and said, it's not hope. It's a certainty that God can forgive you. And God has forgiven you. Please don't live with this uncertainty that, that something in your past has not been forgiven. What else did God have to do to show you that he's forgiven you than send his only son? And so I need to ask you, have you really trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you really accepted that you are fully forgiven in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the promise. The story of the the, the pearl diver and the missionary in India. The missionary was desperate for this pearl diver to understand how much God loved him. And so he shared the gospel, but but this pearl diver said, no, 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 I need to work for my salvation. I need to do something to prove God. And so he decided to crawl on his hands and knees to Delhi just to prove, to earn his salvation. On his deathbed, the missionary met with the pearl diver And the pearl diver handed the missionary this beautiful box. And inside the box was the most beautiful pearl you've ever seen. And the pearl diver said, I'd like you to take this pearl. It's most precious to me. And he explained how his son had dived for this pearl. And the missionary said, "I I didn't know you had a son. Actually, my son died diving for this pearl. This pearl is so precious to me because my son died for this pearl. And the missionary said, oh, thank you so much. Let let me buy that pearl from you. I'll give you $10,000 for it. And the pearl diver said, that's offensive to me. I want to give it to you as a gift. It's priceless. You can't pay for it. And the missionary said this, my friend, you spent the last 20 years telling me that you want to pay for your salvation. It's the most precious gift that God can give you. He sacrificed your son. You can't earn it. You don't work for it. Just accept it. And with tears in his eyes, that pearl diver gave his life to Christ. And maybe you're here this morning and you haven't yet fully trusted that God gave it all for you. But trust is not just about salvation, trust is about the everyday, trust is about. Every day, believing that God can provide and believing that God will protect and believing that God is present and believing that God is strong and believing that God is with you. That's what it means to trust him. Remember, Abraham did not know how God would provide and often he takes us into places where we don't know how and we don't know when and we don't know why. And God just says, trust me when something seems totally illogical to you and when god is asking you to do something that you really don't want to do that's the moment where that word trust becomes a reality to you when god says walk through that valley of depression walk through that valley of loneliness walk through that valley of grief go without give up be generous forgive that person and you say i don't want to do that god I can't do that, God. And and God said, well, trust me. Trust me. Someone said this, when life seems illogical, get theological. Start reasoning based on the character of the God that you know. Remember the story of the little boy who's in the burning house, and he's on the second floor, and the, the father is on the ground floor. And the father's calling out to his son, just jump, just jump. I've got you. I'm here for you. And the boy at the window, he says this. He says, Dad, I can't see you. There's so much smoke. I just can't see you. Are you there? And Dad on the ground says this. He says, son, you can't see me. But I can see you. I can see you, so just jump. I've got you. And let's be honest, let's be real. There are moments in life where where we just can't see God. He seems to be absent. He seems to have left us. And God says to us, just jump. I've got you. That's the testing. We're finished with this, testing. We never choose testing, but God uses it to develop us and to, to transform us. James 1 verse 2 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. And endurance must do its complete work so that you may be mature and complete and lacking nothing. This is testing. It's like going to the gym where God builds our muscles, but to build muscles you need to be stretched and you need to experience pain and aches and hurts. And at the times in my life where I've experienced the most spiritual growth have 100% been times of testing: Death of a loved one, health scares, when the girl I thought I would marry walked away from me, Three premature babies, wife in hospital, deep loneliness, personal attacks, lies, slander. Would I choose to go through those? No, never. Am I thankful God took me me through them? 100%. 100%. God tested Abraham, verse 1. The word there is tested, Not, not tempted. God doesn't tempt us. The devil tempts us. God tests us. And he tests us to to prove our faith, to strengthen our faith. He does it time and time and time and time again. As I said before, the people who have gone through the darkest of valleys often have the deepest faith. So I'm here to say, friends, that God will test you. I love this phrase, gaze at God and glance at your trials. Gaze at God and glance at your trials. Don't get it the other way around. Because if you gaze at your trials and you gaze at your hardships and you just briefly glance on God, you're going to sink. It's like Peter in the boat, remember that? As long as he keeps keeps his eyes fixed on Jesus, he he could walk on that water. As soon as he he gazed at the, the water and took his eyes off Jesus, then he began to sink. I don't know how God's going to test you. I don't know why God is going to test you, but I know that he will. Could be relationships. Could be finances. Could be health. I don't know. But God is saying, trust me. Because the faith that has been tested really can be trusted. Let me pray. Father, we acknowledge that we don't like it. We hate it when you test us. We don't like it, Lord, when you take us to valleys and moments of confusion and chaos. And yet, Lord, we know that you do provide and you do protect and you are using it in some unimaginable way to strengthen us and to build our faith. And so, Lord, we invite you to do whatever you need to do to refine us, to form us, to reshape us. That's a dangerous prayer to pray. But, Lord, we ask that you would make us men and women of faith, of of deep faith, who say we trust you. We trust in you with all our heart. And we don't lean on our own understanding.
0: In Jesus' name.